Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to see you here. And uh, let's open with a word of prayer, and then Jonathan will come and read our scripture for us. God, we thank you so much for blessing us, Lord, for giving us life, for giving us the air that we breathe and the sustainment that we need day by day. Lord, we thank you for being thoughtful. We thank you for preparing the things that we need uh, to be in place where we're, we're going to come in contact with them, God. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this body of believers that we get to come together weekly, that we get to sing your praises, that we get to lift you up and celebrate what you have done and study your word. Lord, I pray that as this time of worship happens, Lord, that we will be real with you. Lord, that we will recognize our shortcomings, our sins, and that we will be willing, Lord, to repent of those and to pursue you and your righteousness. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, our scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Let's start with hymn number 66, Open the Eyes of My Heart.
we do serve an amazing God who has done so much for us. You know, it, it's one of those things, too, if we do not look around us and to see what God has done and is, is continuing to do, we'll miss it. We'll miss it. So it's important for us to have our eyes open. It's important for us to seek the Lord. And if you seek, you will find. That's what Scripture tells us. The next song that we're going to do is 24, or Worship the King. He does not turn his back on us. That he is constantly there for us. But this time we're going to do Open Our Eyes, Lord. Hymn number 
close our eyes and actually pray to God. Lord, we do want to see you. We ask you to open our eyes. Lord, we do want to reach out and we want to experience you, Father. us to do that, we have to put aside the things of this world, the cares of this world, and some may even call them idols, God, whether it may be a game or a TV or a, something we watch, some kind of sport even. Lord, if we don't slow down and, and take time to listen to you, we will not hear from you. way to hear from you is to, to read your word. God, there's no reason for us to hear something new from you when you've provided everything we need in your word. Lord, help us to dig in your word and delight in it. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing this chorus one more time. Open our returning speaker with us, and that is Mr. Carl Fortenberry. Mr. Carl Fortenberry resides in the Hattiesburg area and attends church at Temple Baptist Church, and he is very active in the college ministry there and also is involved in the BSU at USCM in the past, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you again, brother. Thank you for coming back and being with us. Good morning, guys. Um, any of you guys that were here back in, I guess, Father's Day, right, is the last time I was here with you all. So um, what I love about this morning, Brother Barry, when he sent me a text earlier in the week, he asked about if I could fill in for him this week. And he said, and also, I think after I said yes, he said, by the way, you're going to be standing outside, um, which I love, by the way. I know this is different. I know you guys did this last week. You've done this all throughout this year some. Uh, but really what Jason just prayed in that last prayer kind of prayed the message today. It's this idea of James. We're going to be in James. If you have your Bible, if you can turn to James chapter 1, we're going to be in the last few verses of James. 
And what we're going to be talking about really is, is James's address to the church about not being so comfortable, about not being just so used to what you're used to and being willing to honestly look at yourselves and really assess and address what God's wanted to do in your life. So James, as we jump in here, the whole idea is, I think at times we sometimes need to just quit kidding ourselves. I say this to my kids all the time. I have four children and a daughter-in-law. And I have to check this in myself so often. Is so often I can go through life. I'm not speaking for you. This is just me. I can go through life with this often false sense of who I think I am. Or at least how I think other people see me. And if I'm not careful, I begin to live my life based on how I think or want other people to see me rather than who God's really called me to be. And many times, there you go, many times there, that sounds a lot better, doesn't it? <laughs> Often I'm kidding myself, guys. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Jason Dimchen, um, I am the member of Temple Baptist Church. I've told you guys before. I haven't been to seminary. I've got a finance degree and a master's in business. I'm in the pharmaceutical salesman. It's what I do for a living. Uh, but I do spend a lot of time uh, serving at Temple. I'm actually right now kind of the interim college pastor at Temple. Pastor, the college director, we won't say pastor. Um, the guy that we had has moved on and is pastoring a church over in Brookhaven. So I'm doing that as well as I do some chaplain work with the baseball team at USM. That's kind of a function of the Baptist Student Union there, but any of you guys that enjoy baseball, I'm going to tell you this spring is going to be really fun at Southern. Um, they've, got some, they've got some really good guys there, not just good on the field, but some great character guys. So I'm very excited to be here with you guys. So if you're in James, I just want to start off by saying in my undergraduate, I went to Mississippi College. It's a Baptist University in Clinton outside of Jackson, and one of my favorite professors there, his name was Dr. John McCall, it's actually from Vicksburg, originally. He was my New Testament professor at, at Mississippi College, much like William Carey. You know, you take a lot of, you take Old Testament, New Testament, some, some church-like, religion-like courses as part of your core curriculum. So as I was in this class, one of the things that Dr. McCall always said, he was a very tough professor, but he would always ask us to do this, one of the most impactful things as it has to do with Scripture that, that's been a part of my life. He said this, when you're reading the New Testament, always look for echoes of Jesus. He says, when you're reading the Old Testament, always look for echoes of Jesus. His statement was, I'm not sure if it's original to him, but he said the fountainhead of all of Scripture are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he said that because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the entire Old Testament led up to that, right? And then everything after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after the, the four Gospels, the, the rest of the New Testament came out of the life of Jesus. So all of the Old Testament and everything from the beginning of creation led to Jesus coming as he did, and then living and being crucified and dying and then resurrecting, and the rest of the church that began to expand and began to be established as Acts starts, just as we're sitting here now gathering as the church, that fountainhead of the gospel is what James was saying here, that we need to be very close, we need to pay very close attention to. Always listen for how this fountainhead, how the gospel shapes what is written. So as we read these verses, 
we need to understand the context. James here, he badly wanted these churches to build their life together, to build their community together in the middle of persecution, in the middle of temptation, in the middle of behaviors that we're all struggling with today, but they were still struggling with then. The world was not perfect then. I think you'll agree the world is not perfect now. Imperfectness has always been. And we still struggle with so many of these things today. Through all of the trials and things that were coming upon the church from the outside, this is what James was worried about. And, and, and fellow believers, this is what we should be worried about as well. Not so much the outside stuff that's coming at us, but the sin that's coming from the inside of the church. And that's what James was really beginning to focus on here. The struggles that were happening inside the church, inside these people's hearts that were swaying them, that were confusing them, that were dividing them. See, there's anger and ungodly speech. I don't know if you know that, but there's anger and ungodly speech that's running rampant in the church. It's not just an out there thing. It's an, it's an in here thing in the collected church. You guys probably don't have that problem here in your congregation, but I will tell you at my church, it exists. The church I grew up in, it exists. Every church I've ever been a member in or functioned in as a lay minister, it exists. Because we are people, and we are not perfect. And where there is people, there's imperfection. Now, we expect there to be perfection when we're around Christians sometimes. We expect that of others, but we never expect that of ourselves. And that's kind of what James is calling us to today. He was talking to the church here, where there's partiality, where there's covetousness, it's laced all throughout the community, and James is deeply concerned. See, James is also not preaching from this ivory tower here. He's in the trenches. He's in the weeds with this congregation and the churches that he's speaking to. He's living there among them, and he understands, and he's really concerned that they may actually be deceived about their relationship with God. So as we look into what James is about to say here, as I read these next few verses, Please understand with me that, that James is not just going to talk about the symptoms of everything that's happening in the church. He's going directly to the heart of the problem, which is the best advice that we can all apply to our lives. Is so often with my children at times, I, I worry about the symptoms of the, the things that are happening around, and I try to put band-aids on symptoms instead of addressing the problem. And so often the problem in my own life even is just my sin. And my pride, but I try to fix the other things around that my pride is causing instead of just addressing the pride in my life. So James cuts right to it here. We're going to be in verses 19 through 27. Don't start your car and pull away. I promise it's not going to be super long. It's a few verses. I'm going to read through them, and we're just going to pull a few things out of here that I feel like I know God has been speaking to me this past week, and I trust he's going to use to speak to you as well. So James chapter 1, 1 verses 19 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, 
being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pray with me, guys, please. Father, I pray this morning that you would use your word that is alive, it's new, even though we've read this verse so many times. I pray that you would use it today, that it would refresh us, it would renew us. And we trust the prophet Isaiah that said, your word will not go forth and be empty, but it will achieve the purpose for which you sent it. It's not going forth in vain. And for that, we claim this morning, Father. I pray that only your word would be spoken here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So basically what James is telling the church and he's telling us here is there's really three things that he's asking us to do here. The very first one to jump in is he's asking the verses 19 through 21, saying that we need to be willing to receive the word. Receive the word. James calls God's word here in this passage the implanted word of God. If you guys remember from the last time I was with you, I grew up on a dairy. So we had big gardens, lots of cows. Uh, we felled and fluffed and raked and all that with hay and then we would plant ryegrass in the summer so we were, we were constantly planting things and and sowing things in my family as a kid growing up and, and this idea of this implanted word of god really resonates with me and maybe it does with some of you james is actually kind of borrowing this this parable of the sower from matthew 5 if you remember where he talked about the different kinds of soil very quickly that God's word is seed to our human heart and to our soil. And in this parable, he said there was a hard heart. Now, the hard heart did not understand or receive the word. And because of that, guys, it bore no fruit. So there's the hard heart. There's the shallow heart. The best way I can describe this is it was an emotional heart, a mile wide and an inch deep, as my grandfather would say. Really long, but there was no depth. Very shallow. Covered a lot of area but bore nothing. I, I, at times, I call this kind of a cotton candy gospel. I mean, it eats and it tastes so good, but then you're still hungry. There, there's nothing there. There's no depth to it. That's the second one. Then there's the crowded heart. The crowded heart, guys, lacks repentance. It's like sin has been allowed to come into your life, and it's crowded that area that's made for God to exist. And it bears no fruit. But then this fourth type of soul is the fruitful heart, where the word is allowed to take root, and it produces a harvest of fruit. So this, this idea of receiving, God, receiving, guys, a redeemed life, a redeemed life is a life that's alive. It's a life that's growing. It's a life that produces fruit. And here's the thing. Religious works, guys, can be manufactured. We, we, we can... We can create the, the perception of fruit so often in our lives. And so many of us, including me, we're really good at doing that. We know how to do that. We know how to make it look like everything is fine. We can walk and talk and be loud, and, and that can get confused with life. And that's not the life that God's talking about through James here. The life that God's called us to is this life that's alive only by the presence of Jesus because of the gospel. In our lives the Word of God cannot work in our lives guys unless we receive it I don't know if I said this to you last time I honestly don't remember I should but I don't 
But if you agree with me that God and who he is, if the God of the Bible is who he says he is, then you would have to say that God really, in who he is, is all he needs. There's not a whole lot I can give to God. I can only receive from God, right? Football season's going on right now. Lots of passers, lots of reception. There's no way a receiver can receive the ball unless the ball is thrown to him, right? But we walk around and all the time, even within our religious and church circles, and we're functioning like we caught the ball when the ball was never thrown to us to begin with. We've never received anything. And that's what he's saying to us here. We have to be willing to receive. Pay attention to what you hear, James is saying. Take care how you hear it. Too many of us, including me at times, are, we have this tragic condition where we, we, we hear here, but we don't hear here. We, we hear here, but we don't hear here. And that's what James is asking us to do. We attend Bible classes and church services, but, but we just never seem to grow. We show up and we go through all the motions, but there just there doesn't seem to be any fruit. God's real fruit has in it the seeds to produce more fruit. You guys, maybe your home may be like mine. My wife loves to buy Hobby Lobby and Michaels and all those places, especially this time of year. We've got pumpkins and gourds and stuff everywhere. But we have this one like dill, I call it a pot, I don't know what it is, a bowl, and it has these fake pears. They're almost wooden pears. And it has the appearance of being fruit. One of my children, when they were younger, actually tried to bite one one time. It's not fruit. It looks like fruit. It, 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 it even sits there and acts like fruit because fruit just sits there anyway. But there's nothing in it that produces life. It's not fruit. Some people say the reason they don't grow is the preacher's fault. I mean, maybe. But have you ever considered it may be the fault of the hearer? Maybe it's my fault and your fault? When we say, well, he just didn't feed me today. Well, God can use anyone at any moment, at any time. The word is the word. The word is life. If you presented yourself and opened yourself to the presence of the word, even the reading of the word, God can use that. We have to be willing to receive the word. How do we do this? James doesn't leave us alone. Verse 19, he says, first you have to be quick to hear. Matthew says, he who hath ears, let him hear. Just as the servant is quick to hear his master's voice, and the mother is quick to hear her baby's cry, so the believer should be quick to hear what the Word of God has to say. There's this beautiful illustration about King David back in 2 Samuel. So he was hiding from the Philistines. They were trying to fight him. They were trying to kill him. And as he was sitting just kind of in silence, he had people kind of around him, but the king, King David, was just here, and he was starting to remember this well in Bethlehem that he went to when he was a boy, that he would get these cool drinks of water from. And just, it was recorded in 2 Samuel, I love this story. He says in 2 Samuel 23, 15, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. He just kind of said that to himself. It was almost a sigh. He was tired and he was just thinking back to these memories of when he was a boy. Of what he wouldn't do to just have that cold drink of water. Do you know some of his men heard him say that? They said nothing to him, but they risked their life to go back into Bethlehem. And they brought him back a cold drink of that water. 
See, they were hearers of the word of their king. And that hearing then moved them into action. And I love that story because that's what God has called us to do. We should be quick to hear. The last part of verse 19, we should be slow to speak. Too many times we, you, I, argue with God's word. Maybe not audibly, but in our hearts we do. We argue with what he's asking us to do. And in the early church, this feels kind of early church-like, right? A little, little less formal. The early church was very informal. And this idea of being slow to speak, I don't know if you knew this, but at times in this type of setting, back when James was preaching and declaring the word, people would just randomly say things to him. They would like debate him or they would start to argue with him. Just like if you guys started just yelling at me right now and telling me, no, I don't agree. And if we were to start to go back and forth. That's how that would happen back in that, this time. There were fights and there were wars among the churches that James was writing to. And let me say this, quick to, quick to hear, so to speak. If you've been playing on your phone or maybe you're listening to something else on your radio, right now come here with your minds. Hear this, no behavior, guys, no behavior on our part is more self-centered than to speak and refuse to listen. No behavior is more self-centered than to speak and refuse to listen. There's a lot of that going on today. A lot of that going on in our world. Everyone wants to speak, but no one wants to listen. It's okay to disagree, but James is saying, be slow to speak, don't argue. Disagree, don't argue. Disagree, but don't argue. The end of verse 19, not just being slow to speak, but also slow to anger. Don't get angry at God or his word. Many church fights are the result of short tempers, of hasty words. I know in the, little, the smaller church I grew up in, the, the, when we were planning azaleas for the spring, there was literally an argument on the front steps of my little church just like this over whether they should be white or pink azaleas. People got angry. You may or may not believe this. A family left the church over the color that we were, of azaleas we were planting. And as a kid, you know, that was the only church I'd ever known. That's what I grew up in. I just thought, well, that's what churches do. You know, I thought that, you know, your experience is all you have is your experience. And I've looked back on that and thought, how, how sad that was. That, that disruption happened over something like that. Not over something theological or some type of doctrinal issue of what God said or God didn't say. But over the color of the azaleas that were being planted in the beds out in front of the church. Be slow to anger. This is last this last week. I was on a, a Zoom call for work, on a video conference, and, and they they throw these quotes up before the conference starts. We'll have about 500, 600 people across the country on these these video conference calls, and these quotes are playing before the presentation started. And it said this: "Temper is such a valuable thing. It's such a shame to lose it." And I thought, well, that's that's kind of nice. But you know, the more I thought about that and then relating to what we're talking about today, I don't know if you've ever used the term temper as it relates to steel, tempered steel, or the process of steel metal being created and made. But you probably already know this, but just humor me. Tempering, guys, is a type of treatment for steel. 
in general, the process for heating steel is this rapid fire, cooling it down and then rapidly firing it again and going back and forth and back and forth. Sounds a lot like our life, right? A lot like this world. The fire sometimes gets so hot. It, it, it's being the trials and the temptations of thinking you just can't stand it. And then there's moments of being cooled back down. And then all of a sudden there's moments of just what's happening, God, what's going on in my life. And we, if we understand that the ups and downs of our life do not surprise God, they don't shock God. He is, whether we're really willing to admit it or not, he's allowing it to happen in our life. It's happening for this sole purpose. Think about how steel is tempered. By tempering steel, the atoms are allowed to completely rearrange back and forth, and they become more stable. They become stronger. So controlling our temper, guys, means we refuse to allow ourselves to weaken, but rather allow this anger God has said we must hate sin. There is godly anger, but it's against sin. Man's anger does not produce God's righteousness, it says here in verse 20. Anger is just the opposite. So allow the anger that you have in your life to be towards sin and not towards other people. And this tempering begins to take place. The person who cannot get angry at sin does not have much strength to fight. Just like tempered steel. That process makes us stronger. It creates on the end a useful tool that has a purpose as opposed to just being a lump of metal that can break and bend because it's never really been exposed to anything hard. The last thing here in this part that James is asking us to have is a prepared heart. Verse 21. See, James saw the heart, the human heart, as a garden. That's why I mentioned the parable of the sower at the beginning. If left to itself, the soil will only produce weeds. He urges us to prepare the soil for this implanted word of God. It is foolish, dear people, to try to receive God's word in an unprepared heart. The soil must be prepared, and only God can do that. So he's asked us first, we must be willing to receive the word. These last few verses, 22 through 25, James is saying, he's telling the church, you've got to now practice the word. Now that you've received it, that's good and that's fine, but now what? It doesn't just stop there. It's not enough to just hear the word. We must do the word. Don't go do the word until you've heard the word. But once you've heard the word, then go do the word. It becomes action. So often, though, we find our times being active, and we're out here running around doing stuff when we've never received anything to begin with. And it becomes very empty. We get very burnt out. People leave the church. They quit teaching Sunday school. They drop off committees because they're doing good stuff, but they've never received anything that's allowed them to do that stuff, if that makes sense. So practice the word. Many people have the mistaken idea that hearing a good sermon really getting involved in a really good Bible study is what makes them grow and get God's blessing. It's not just the hearing, but it's also the doing that brings the blessing. Too many of us mark our Bibles. Too many of us don't write anything in them at all. If you think you're spiritual because you hear the word, you are only kidding yourself. If you're just a hearer and not a doer, you're kidding yourself. If you're just a doer but have never heard, you're kidding yourself. These things are not mutually exclusive. James is saying, hear the, receive the word, hear the word, then go do it. Not because of you, but because of who God is in you. He mentions in verses 23 through 25 this, this um, 
this analogy of a mirror, a man that looks in a mirror and walks away. I mean, people, there, there's really three things that happen when we look in a mirror, guys. Spiritually, when we look into a mirror, we merely glance at ourselves, we kind of see ourselves surfacely, but then we walk away and it, it's, it's never done anything to us. We don't change anything about us. My, my, um, uh, this is recording, so I don't know if my sister-in-law will ever see this, but I remember my wife talking about my sister-in-law when they were younger, like, you know, back in the 80s, you know, hair was, was really big with ladies. My hair has never been that big. If I could grow hair, it'd probably be huge, because but then that'd be a pride issue, and I'd probably have to shave it, and I'd, I'd have issues. But she used to stand in front of the mirror, my sister-in-law, my wife said, and she would fix her hair, and it would be just like, it's just like she liked it. But you know, she never looked at the back of her head. And like she said that she would walk away and the back of her head would just be completely just flat. I mean, hair was out this way, but she didn't really look at herself. She just saw what she wanted to see, but never occurred to her when she was a teenager, she didn't do something back here too. I don't know what that means because I don't have hair. I've just heard what my wife has said. Evidently, you're supposed to fix it all the way around, ladies. I don't know, but that's what she said. But she just fixed what she saw, but never addressed what she couldn't see. And that's people that merely glance at themselves. It's the difference in just, you heard of taking a selfie with your phone? It's the difference in taking just a candid picture of yourself and an x-ray. It's not just looking at the surface, but an x-ray looks way below what we can see and reveals the true problem of what's going on with an injury. Second mistake, we just merely glance at ourselves. Secondly, sometimes we see it, but then we forget what we see. We allow ourselves to just be pulled away. Yeah, I know I see this. I'm going to do this, God. I see what you're saying to me. And over the next couple of days, we just kind of, whatever, we forget. Our mind goes on to something else. So we never really paid attention to it to begin with. Mistake number three is people see it, they acknowledge it, and you're doing pretty good if you've gotten that far, but then they fail to obey what the Word tells them to do. See, you think that hearing is the same as doing, and it's not. Reading for doing or talking for doing or going to a conference for doing or showing up for a meeting just for doing it, it's it's just for hearing it's not enough you also have to be willing to do if we use god's mirror profitably we must gaze into it carefully with a serious intent james 125 not a quick glance will do we must examine our hearts and live in the light of god's word here's the problem this requires time this requires attention and it requires a sincerity of devotion. Things that so often we're willing to give to other areas of our life instead of our relationship with God. After seeing ourselves, we must remember what we are and what God says. We must do the word. I know I've said this over and over, but it's so important to receive the word, hear the word, and then do the word. Our first responsibility is to receive. Then we must practice the word. And finally, guys, these last two verses, we must be willing to then share the word. So we received it. We've heard it. That's great. That's like in baseball, that's first base, okay? Now we're going to go do it. So we're around second place, play around. Now we're going to start sharing it, hitting third base. And as you share it, then you show other people the way to get home. You don't run to third and then to first and then just run all around the baseball field. There's a progression of things here that James is laying out for this church. 
We must be willing to share the word. The word translated religion here in verse 20 and 20, 26 and 27, it means the outward practice, the service of God. It's only used five times in the New Testament, this particular word. Pure religion has nothing to do with ceremonies, with temples, with special days, with church buildings. Pure religion means practicing God's word and sharing it with others through speech, through service, and through this last verse, separation from the world. Let's look at these three things and we're done. Verse 26, through speech. There are so many references to speech in this letter. It gives the impression the tongue was a serious problem within the church that James was talking to. By the way, our tongues are still serious issues. It's not so much the things we say, but my goodness, the things we type. Social media, good night. Working with college students as much as I do, it's a cesspool of just self-centeredness and just self, 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 me, me, me. This is what I think. Let me tell you what I think on here, but don't you dare respond with something that's different from what I think. That's the world that we live in right now. It's the tongue, though, that reveals the heart, whether it's through your mouth or through your fingertips on a keyboard. The tongue reveals the heart. If the heart is right, guys, the speech will be right. A controlled tongue means a controlled body. So verse 26 says, we share the word through speech. Verse 27, we also share the word through our service. We've already seen ourselves and Christ in the mirror of the word. We must then see others. It's okay to see yourself for a minute and address who you are with God and address who he wants you to be. But once he's allowed you to see who you are and whose you are in him, then we begin to need to look at the needs of others. Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah first saw the Lord, then he saw himself, then he saw the people to whom he would minister. Words are no substitute for deeds of love. With a lot of the college students that I work with, guys, there are some kids that they have resources, their parents help them. There's a lot of them that just, they're on their own. And they're struggling. The BSUs, the Baptist Student Unions on our campuses, help these kids out as much as they can with the resources that they have. At times, it's very limited. And then that's where the church steps in, or where individuals step in. God does not want us to pay for others to minister as a substitute for our own personal service. I'm not a preacher, so I can say this. Brother Barry didn't ask me to say this. Brother Barry and I have only texted very briefly this week. But I will say this. So often we expect the people, the pastors that we pay, that we give a check to, to kind of, they just, they do it all for us. That's their job. Well, can I ask you in the most loving way possible? The things you're expecting your pastor to do, tell me what you're doing. It gets real quiet even in my own life. Because I expect things of the pastor or the youth pastor or the music minister that I would never expect of myself. I'm just being honest with you. I expect their kids to act much better than my kids so often. Is that fair? No, that's not fair. The world's not fair, right? But we can address that in our own hearts. God does not want us to pay for others to minister as a substitute for our own personal service. Not just in the church, within the community, where we work, where we grocery shop, wherever we go. We're not paying other people as a substitute for the service God has called us to do. Verse 27, this is the last one. He's also saying, 
we must share the word by separation from the world. This is where I struggle so often with young people and students and trying to get them to understand this. By the world, James meant society without God. Scripture has said Satan is the prince of this world and the lost are the children of this world. And as the children of God, as those of us that are following and doing our best to follow Jesus and be disciples of his, we are in the world physically, but we're not in the world spiritually. See, we are sent into the world for the sake of the gospel to tell other people about Jesus. It is only as we maintain our separation from the world that we can serve others. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by this. There's this progression that, that I walk through with college students so often. See, first, there's this friendship with the world. James 4 talks about this. There's this friendship with the world, which eventually leads to a love for the world. If we're not careful, then we'll, out of that friendship with the world, we'll be conformed to this world. And the result of us being condemned with the world, if you're conformed with the world, then you begin to be condemned with the world. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I don't believe that. If God has saved you, he has redeemed you, you are his, and no one can pluck you out of the palm of his hand. What I'm saying is, you may not lose your salvation, but you can lose everything you've lived for up until that point. We see that happening so often, right? People that just like, what happened to them? Where did they turn wrong? Well, they, they just got close enough to the edge. If I've said it to my children once, I've said it a thousand times. Boundaries are there for a reason. Why get to the edge of the cliff just to look? You know it's going to drop off. So just stay away from the edge. If you get close enough to the edge, yeah, somebody's going to push you off. Well, somebody else made me do it. Well, don't get close enough where they can do that. Why, why get so close to the edge of the boundaries God has set for us? Just separate yourself. Separate yourself. The perfect example is Lot with Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember what happened? First, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. God was like, don't go there. Now, don't go there. You shouldn't be there. So what did he do when he pitched his tent? He pitched his tent so when he walked out his front door every morning, there was Sodom in the distance. It was always there on his mind. He didn't remove himself from it. Repenting says we turn away. He, he was not there, but he made sure he saw it every day when he got up. It's the last thing he saw before he went into his tent at night. So first, he did that. Then, he eventually moved into Sodom. Before long, Sodom moved into him. He completely lost his testimony, even with his own family. When judgment fell on Sodom, if you remember, Lot lost everything. He lost everything he had lived for. He lost his family. He lost his wife. Because he just couldn't stay away. Abraham was the separated believer in that instance. He was the friend of God. He had a great ministry to the people because he was not a friend of the world like Lot was. It is not necessary for a Christian to get involved with the world to minister to the world. This is for college students messed up. But I have to go be the designated driver for my sorority. No, you don't. But, but I just have to be there because I'm a Christian. I just have to be the good influence. Well, I appreciate that effort, and I appreciate you caring, but if you keep playing around with that so long, before long, it's just going to become very familiar, and you really, it, it, the strong, the, the pull, the pull of the past and the pull of temptation is so often much stronger when we're by ourselves, and we're surrounded by people that are not like us. 
I'm not saying don't talk to people like you. You should. That's what we're called to do. Take the gospel where the gospel is not. Take the light of who God is to the darkness. But do that understanding. You're not of that. Still separate yourself. The best way to minister to the needs of the world is to be pure from the defilement of the world. If you look just like the world, then what's different? But I'm a Christian, but you look just like the world. Separate yourself. Not for you, not so people can tell you how good you are, but for the sake of who God is in you. That you will present yourself and who you are as a pure, undefiled, not perfect, always imperfect because we are. Not righteous, but only righteous because of God. Present yourself to others. Not as a person who has all the answers, but knows the person that does. It, it's an introducing of people to Jesus. You don't save anybody. Only Jesus can save somebody. But he's asked us to go into the world. To hear the word. Receive the word. Do the word. By spreading the word. That's what James was calling the church to here in James. Nothing has changed. That's what he's asking us to do today. As we close, there's three of us here. If you, if you believe, I'd invite you, I encourage you to believe in Jesus. He loves you. This good God, this perfect God has made a way for you to be loved by him. If you are a Christian, is there evidence of that in your life? Are you kidding yourself? Not have you lost your salvation, but is there any difference between you and the world? If you say, yes, there is, then if you're pretty assured you're a believer, then praise God. In what ways, though, are you like me, not living out the full identity of who God is in your life? For the most part, I got it together, but I've missed some stuff over here, and we'll just deal with those later. What are we waiting for? College students tell me all the time, well, when I get married, when I get a family, you know, then I'll get serious about church. What are you waiting for? You're wasting so many years of your life walking with God saying that when that happens, then I will do this. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense when we say it out loud, but we live our life that way so often. The final question, are you guys, are you enslaved to anger? Are you enslaved to the, your desires, your wants, what you perceive to be your needs? Are you controlled by your mouth instead of controlling your mouth? Are there areas in your life where you're just saying, man, I look like an apple tree, but I'm over here producing oranges. I'm not really being who I know that I am. The good news is, James has said this to the church here, look to Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are, however you answer those questions, look to Jesus. This is the invitation. Look to Jesus who stands ready to save you. To Jesus who loves you, who has a table, guys, set before you, whose goodness and mercy I want to follow you all the days of your life let's pray Jesus father you are everything you say you are and more and God I pray for these sweet people here this morning that you would give us the capacity in your name just to release and to repent of anything you've convicted us of this morning forgive us change us empower us to live in the light of the identity of who you are your mercy is more than anything we can imagine or hope for God. Remind us that as we lift this final song of praise to you, I pray, Jesus, that you would sing it over us as we sing it to you. 
and plant this promise in our hearts that you, through us, may bear much fruit if we're willing, if we're even willing to be willing to receive the word that you're giving us. In Jesus' name. speaking with us today and sharing God's word and it is a great reminder that we should be slow to speak quick to listen and uh, I, I, I drew a blank on the rest on that but uh, <laughs> God knows that's right that's right <laughs> anyway but uh, I, I really do appreciate you we are we are we are really supposed to be uh, you know not friends of this world but but really ambassadors of God doers of the word thank you for that that good reminder there and, um, you know, as we're singing through this last song, and it talks about holy, 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 is that's what holy means. Holy is different than this world. That's what God is. He is absolutely different than this world. And you see many things all throughout our world where we know that there are shortcomings. There are times, uh, you know, where, where things are just failing, things that people are not getting along, that there's sin, that there's, there's hatefulness that there's uh, spitefulness, there's all kinds of stuff going on in our world. And there's a lot for us to be praying about. I know over the next two weeks that we'll be having a national election and even some state uh, things that to be voting on as well. So we need to be informed as Christians uh, as to what those uh, things are that we're going to be voting about. And also, uh, we need to be informed by God's Word on how God would want us to view these things as well so i would like to encourage you to kind of to make sure that you get involved with what's going on politically meaning what what things are going to be on the ballot and educate yourself and, and search god out if you seek him you will find him and if you seek his word you're going to find what you're looking for god is a provider and he has provided us with everything we need in his word let's pray real quick and i will see you tonight at six God, we love you, and we thank you so much that we can come to your house and we can we can study your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that you will help us to be faithful and diligent to seek you daily. Lord, that we will pray without ceasing. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for being always faithful to us. And we pray, Jesus. Amen. Beep, beep.